Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of uh, Vaquero Voices. Is that what we're calling this? I'm joined by my co-host, Akil Hill. That is exactly what we're... <laughs> I guess that's still the biggest work in progress because, I mean, the rest of it's just conversation. So figuring out what to call it and then kind of hammering things out will be what we'll be working on, you know, in the near future. But uh, just to try to give voices to folks on campus and in the community to just share and just have some casual conversation and have fun. So welcome to everyone. And um, we always start the show off with some news um, and events going on around campus and SBCC. Uh, biggest news for us, of course, is our fall classes going uh, mostly online. We have a list of classes that will be online and in, I mean, that will be in person on our website, sbcc.edu slash classes. But most classes will be online. Um, Akil has a uh, have things been affecting you over the summer and for that in terms of the shift? Um, well, I mean, yes, I mean, it definitely has been uh, impactful. Um, it's just, I think the biggest takeaway for me and working in admission and records is that the processing time, although we, um, our department has done a great job um, processing, but it's just not the same as working in the office um, with two, two monitors, um, multitasking. It, it just seems like it's taking a little bit uh, longer to process things um, from home, you know, if you're just working from your laptop, that kind of set up. And, um, but, you know, it's still going well. I, I, um, I think uh, students are still being responded to, things are still being processed, but it's just uh, in a different manner, you know. Yeah, I feel like it, for everyone, it's kind of like a learning curve to kind of figure out the differences. I mean, Nobody thought it was going to be a smooth transition, but I know for me, for some things, I didn't realize certain things would be as tough as they were. And then on the flip side, I didn't realize some things would be as easy as they were. Like some some things that I do really translated instantly. I yeah. With the variable of if you have families at home, having my kid at home and trying to be a teacher as well and do all that stuff is not, you know. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Well, absolutely. I think that um, it's in some ways it's kind of re-looking at the will and the structure and how mm -hmm. Uh, work and process things in an efficient way and and so um, you know there's you know there's always silver linings right so um, I think there's you know that there's definitely some in in in, in light of the whole COVID situation and, and yeah I'm not exactly the most experienced here because I, I mean did you ever take a class online in college or anything because I never did no I mean yeah Blackboard was like just coming out when I was in school and I never did that and so so, I mean, I, I might be like the 15 miles in the snow equivalent trying to talk to people about how to do well online. But, yeah, I, it'd be a tough transition for me because I, I was already a pretty terrible student. So having to, like, have the extra distraction of at any moment, I can pop open a browser tab and start, you know, whiling on the Internet. Like, that's not, you know. So <laughs> we, we know it's tough for the students. We're, we're doing the best we can, you know, on the behind the scenes here. And uh, hang in there. Do the best you can. Yeah, and I think the college has done a great job at trying to uh, give people access to, you know, like uh, laptops um, and setting things up. So this college has done a great job, a phenomenal job, I feel, at um, trying to close those equity gaps um, for students who, you know, may not have access to, um, you know, certain things that other students do. So um, I'd like to send a, just give a big shout out to SBCC for um, um, making that happen. So, um, yeah, yeah so I think you dated yourself. On the, I think we're both dating ourselves on the. On, on <laughs> oh yeah, once we talk about my class, you know, once we talk about our movie choices, we'll be fully dated. But yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But yeah, no, Chromebooks, 
<laughs> fully available. And um, if you want to see a list of classes that will be in person in the fall, sbcc.edu slash classes and um, all the other classes you can assume will be online. Um, I mean, it, it. I think in the grand scheme of things, we'd all like to be on campus for the fall, but we're still having a debate about whether masks help. So we have a long way to go in terms of getting to bigger points than that. So, yeah. Um, so that's our big news. Uh, moving on to our next experimental section that we will be tweaking, depending on um, how things go, is uh, our quote unquote food section. <laughs> uh, in terms of any good meals you've eaten or any good meals you've cooked recently. Um, you want to start, Akil? You want me to go? How about you go? Okay. Uh, for me, the biggest meal I've had recently was um, Father's Day takeout from Neighbor Tim's Barbecue. Uh, they're out in Goleta. They're, they have a truck out in Arrow Camino, and they're just cooking up, you know, brisket, pulled pork, ribs. And uh, they did a Father's Day meal with uh, three pounds of meat, uh, two pounds of sides, loaf of bread, barbecue sauce for like 60 bucks, and it was a great deal, and I'm still eating it three days later. So, I mean, it's not like the best barbecue I've ever had, but yeah. in terms of like quarantine meals, it's probably one of the best quarantine meals I've had because like I'm getting sick of my own cooking and I'm getting sick of Costco frozen products. So in terms of a home cooked, like hearty meal, like definitely one of the best meals I've had. Nice. And I will say that in terms of brisket in general on the West coast, did you, I mean, I didn't see very much brisket in restaurants or prepared at home, you know, like even like five years ago, there wasn't much, you know, and now it seems like more and more places are doing brisket, which usually is a tough kind of meat to cook. And I mean, I know you were talking about cooking brisket the other day, but I mean, it yeah. can be tough to hit that spot. I mean, it gets dry really quick if you go too far. So, yeah, I'm a I'm a big uh, fan of brisket. I uh, like you said, I smoked one uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago, and uh, for you know, it's it's one of those tough meats, man. It's just hard to get right. But if once you if you can uh, master it, then there's nothing better than brisket. You know, they say in order to make good or phenomenal barbecue you have to make a lot of bad <laughs> barbecue yeah. first you know it came out pretty good though um how did, big was it how many pounds how much uh it was 10 pounds 10 pounds and um just kind of um seasoned it up through a whole bunch of different uh spices uh to make the rub and then cooked it um what was the temperature i think it was like 275 i think for almost like 10 hours something like that um, and it came out, it came out really good. Uh, so, but yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of barbecue. Um, I spent time in the Midwest, uh, as a kid and Kansas city barbecue was always the family thing to do over the summer when we would drive from Nebraska to Kansas city to, you know, over the summer. And so I'm a big fan of, uh, of, of that. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I gotta admit, I was kind of slow to get to barbecue. I mean, I had a lot of like, like chain you know generic barbecue i didn't even have tri-tip till i was 18 in college because in la it was not there was not around it was all yeah. carne it was all like you know so it took me a long time to even get into tri-tip let alone now like brisket and all this other stuff but yeah um in the past 10 years being able to travel around and go to different areas i still haven't had carolina pulled pork in carolina but i have had texas style you know memphis style little kansas city but yeah, yeah. So, neighbor tim's is good how about you akil I, um, you know, I've been over the, uh, over quarantine, I've been cooking quite a bit. Um, but, uh, I will say last night, um, I had the notorious local 
you have not lived in Goleta unless you've tried Noodle City for dinner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so um, that is one of my, uh, you know, that hole in the wall when you walk in, you know, uh, no one's really talking. There's no music. Everyone's sitting and eating, you know. Um, and that's one of my kind of go-tos. It's kind of like a Vietnamese comfort food. Um, and so last night uh, I had the uh, shrimp pho. Is it pho or pho? It's pho. I say pho. Pho. I go with pho usually because all the all the pho puns usually start with you know going with pho. Like, <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. So I had shrimp pho last night. Uh, I got, obviously I got extra noodles and uh, that's one of my go-to's along with the shrimp fried rice um, and. Um, there's one like the noodles dish. I forget the name of the noodles. So they're doing they're doing dine-in though. They're doing takeout only. So it was only so they're still open for business. And um, so if people are out here listening, if you live in the Goleta area, um, I'm a little bit uh, south of Goleta, but um, you know I would always um, go there at least you know once a week or once every two weeks. So I just try to get there as much as I can just to support uh, local businesses. Um, you know. Yeah, because their their tables inside were always a little close, so I was kind of curious how they would kind of do the reopening and positioning stuff. Because you can still do it, but because the prices are so reasonable, your margins are super thin, so you have to cram a lot of get a lot of people moving in and out. So it's kind of a tough, you know, a tough route for a lot of these restaurants to kind of figure out your best path to navigate with fifty yeah. percent capacity, so to speak. Yeah, I was talking to the manager also too, and he, you know, he said that business is kind of it's kind of up and down like some days are extremely busy and then other days it's just completely dead so um you know just a just a good plug if you're in the Glita area in the Santa Barbara area just make sure you you should try it out um yeah now is the time to definitely try out your favorite local restaurant or your restaurant you've always been curious about because they definitely need kind of the patronage I mean you, you do want to be responsible and, and adhere to social distancing and all these other things but there's no reason not to be able to go grab a bite to eat nowadays, especially because they're, they're hurting bad. And, and business owners are really one of the frontline businesses right now that are kind of out there and just kind of, you know, yeah, in, in the woods, so to speak. So help them out any way you can. Absolutely. And it also too, like, I mean, like Noodle City is not open, but it actually, uh, I know like on State Street, that's been reopened and people are out and eating. I think, you know, food and, 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 getting together under, you know, obviously the, the social distancing guidelines um, is in some ways it's a healing, uh, comforting for people just to be able to um, eat or break bread, if you will, uh, together. And that's one of the things that are, is, is actually a universal. So it's kind of nice to, to, to see that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of like sharing unique flavors, sharing unique kind of experiences. Certain restaurants are just an experience, like Noodle City, when when someone starts yelling from the back and you're like, oh yeah, it feels like home, you know? Like, yeah. Like I, I coming from LA, like Vietnamese restaurants are, are, are a dime a dozen and, and Noodle City just kind of hit that spot of that authentic flavor. And like, they actually put like tendon and tripe in their pho, which some places won't do. So yeah, I do definitely vouch for that place. It's awesome. Yeah. All right. All right. So, moving right along to the main the main heart of the show, which uh, the goal will be kind of to um, where the hosts. We're going to have guests eventually, but uh, for this first episode, we want to just kind of get get to know each other a little better in terms of uh, our podcasting rapport. 
and kind of just set the table for what we're going to be doing going forward. So basically, um, we will, every episode, pick uh, one piece of media, art, so what do you want to call it? Like a book, movie, TV, films, music, video game, anything under the sun. And then we'll talk about it and our guests will bring one up and we'll just see where it goes. Because with, with all these things, these cultural landmarks, so to speak, uh, they're wrapped around memories. They're wrapped around memories of when you first experienced it, memories of revisiting it now, you know, things of that sort. So, um, yeah. Uh, you want to start, Akil? You want me to go this time? You want to go? It doesn't make a difference. I mean, um, um, how about you start? I, okay. Because I, I, All right. Mm-hmm, go ahead. So my pick uh, for this week was a film because Akil told me he was going to do a film. So I want to do something that would kind of complement um, what he was doing. So uh, my pick is Suburbia. Penelope Spears' film from 1983 about uh, some punk outcast youths. Um, There's a lot going into it in terms of its creation and stuff. Did you get a chance to watch it at all or no? No, I couldn't find it. It It's streaming on Amazon, but it's, uh, yeah, not too, not that easy to find otherwise. I I was kind of surprised that it was streaming on Amazon, like Amazon Prime free streaming. But other than that, it was kind of a a really low-end film when it hit. So... A um, little backstory on the film, uh, Penelope Spears was a film director, uh, most famous, I guess, for the Wayne's World movie. And she did a couple remakes, like the Beverly Hillbillies and Little Rascals. But for me, her landmark films are um, Suburbia and The Decline of Western Civilization. It was a film trilogy, a documentary trilogy, that the first film came out like 1978 or 77 and was about punk rock. Uh, part two was in the 80s called the the metal years it was about hair metal and then part three came out in 99 about like kind of the crust crust punk scene that was coming up which is kind of derived from the first generation but it was its own spin and uh a lot of folks told her you know you you're not going to make any money doing documentaries if you want to do any if you want to get any sort of kind of like broad appeal or, or recognition you need to make fictional movies so she kind of made this film suburbia as a fictional kind of retelling of Decline of Western Civilization Part One. She got a lot of punk bands uh, for in the film to do musical performances. And in terms of the cast of the film, it's not a lot, most of them aren't known actors. Um, they're just punk kids that she met at shows and stuff. And she got them to go in the film and do some acting. So Flea is one of the guys in the movie, you know, the bassist from the Hot Chili Peppers. Oh yeah, yeah. His first film roles, he was like a 19 year old kid. He, he later would end up in the band called Fear. But um, I picked the film because it was real. It's really um, it it kind of ticked a lot of boxes in my mind in terms of in terms of memories and in terms of just the context of the film itself. Uh, the film takes place in 1983, and um, it's it centers around location-wise this area of Norwalk and Downey that was taken over by eminent domain, which is when people buy you know the government buys properties to develop. They were buying properties in these areas to develop for the. Uh, forthcoming freeway system so they bought up these huge tracts of land and all these houses within and they left them empty for years until they were able to kind of come up with the permitting or whatever to build these freeways so in the meantime these neighborhoods these community tracts sat vacant for i mean almost almost a decade i think and so in that time like the areas became just downtrodden, you know, crime, crime showed up, gangs showed up and all these rows and rows of empty houses were there. And um, Penelope Spears kind of framed her story in this area with punk kids squatting in these houses. And one thing I didn't know was that 
in that time, 83, punk kids didn't really squat in these empty houses. She made that up. And it's kind of funny because when I came up, I came up in the mid to late nineties as a punk. And like these, her film was like a hallmark. And a lot of these old punk landmarks, you know, people were like referring to me to yeah. watch and to listen. And it, it, it's kind of interesting to see all the things that kind of came true over time because people did start squatting in abandoned places. Like I would show up in, a, in like little squats, they called them squats and the people were squatters and you would hang out and just do whatever. And, crazy kind of crazy that it didn't even exist and it, it's like kind of her prescient knowledge of the scene and what it was going to become that that kind of happened and it's it's one of those things where you know mid to late 90s the internet existed i was on the web like 97 98 but the, you know the internet is not what is not what it is now then and it was really like hodgepodge then so we all your recommendations and everything that was getting referred to you was still word of mouth like it was still people you knew you wouldn't yeah. know about something unless you knew someone that knew about something that told yeah. you about it yeah you know so i mean like I had to seek out the punks first of all. I had to befriend them. I had to prove I wasn't a poser, you know, like that, which was a huge thing now. Like everyone talks about, like you know, selling out this and that. That still kind of persists. Mm -hmm. But but I mean, selling out was a huge, like a big deal. Like it was like the cardinal sin. Being a poser and selling out were like the two things you could absolutely never do. Like you would cut off your own arm before yeah. you would be a poser or sell out, you know. So. Mm -hmm. So there are all these initiations where you like you had, you had people show up and they'd ask you questions and you'd have to answer them and like you know like oh well, well what band what what band was singing this song what's that what's that D beat you know the dis, the discharge beat and so there was a lot of gatekeeping involved so like once you once you knew and pro proved to folks that you were like down for whatever then they would be like oh listen to this watch this and they would tell you about you know. Film-wise, it was the Gigi Allen documentary because it was like, oh, my God, that's nuts. Suburbia and then, you know, the, the various bands that you would never hear because they weren't on the radio and whatnot. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so, so that brought back a lot of memories. Like just watching the film and being like, you know, I, 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 I got hit to this by some punk friends, you know, my, my friends that I met and that they were able to, like, kind of let me into this secret well of knowledge. But just watching it now, just I mean, the the, the power of eminent domain and, and these ideas, you know, gentrification and stuff like that, the, the social pressures that we put on communities, you know, internally with the people that live there, but externally from, you know, government pressure to take over places with eminent domain, external pressures from neighboring communities that want to gentrify your neighborhoods. I mean, these these things are very real and have been real for a long time and people have been dealing with them for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, the, and the, the flip side of that is... Um, seeing that suburbia takes place in the suburbs you know like my my part of the lay where i grew up was kind of a suburb at the time but it was it's also like a statement of kind of <coughs> excuse me what things were going on what things were like on that side of town because you have your greater your quote-unquote gritty inner city kind of issues and dramas and films that were coming out but the suburbs were like paradise to people you know and the suburbs were like this kind of this hallmark this beacon of privilege and they still are today to a certain extent but it's that question of you know folks that have privilege i mean it, it it's for number one it's hard for them to admit it but number two it, even if you recognize it if you're aware of it and you still don't come out quote unquote on top like if you're like a wealthy elite or whatever then yeah whatever your privilege is all good but if you have this privilege and you still quote unquote fail you know yeah. like it, it's it's a lot to wrestle with and 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 the kids in this movie suburbia their parents i mean they did the best they could but but they failed in certain aspects of like raising their kids and doing this and that you know like it's 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 one of the things that resonated with me kind of as an Asian kid specifically because as Asian, as an Asian kid growing up, my parents, I mean, 
they rub, they rub my privilege in my face every single day of my life. And I, you know, I didn't feel privileged. I grew up poor in East LA, but for them, it's like, they, they, they're gold medal winners in the struggle Olympics, you know, like their whole lives have been a struggle. So every chance they get to, to rub it in my face, like how privileged I am, how lucky I am, how I need to be doing better, 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 better. I mean, that's one of the things that kind of drove me to the punk scene in the first place was like everything I did was not good enough. But mm. then when I hang out with the punk kids, I'm like the genius. I'm like, you know, like this guy, <laughs> like, oh man, Hong, Hong, you know so much. He's doing this and that. Like, so that, I mean, maybe it was like the, the, the promise of lowered expectations, but that was, that was one thing too. And, and so it's, there, there's a lot of things about this movie that kind of hits mm. and kind of just resonates with me still to this day. And just, and just picking it up the other day and watching some parts of it. I'm like, Oh yeah. I mean, I will know that there are some scenes that are kind of weird. Like there's random bits of violence and nudity, but that's a little sub note because the film was produced by Roger Corman mm-hmm. and he was like a horror, you know, horror schlock kind of filmmaker from like the sixties and seventies. And he kind of semi-mandated that every every 10 minutes there had to be some kind of scene of violence or nudity or he wouldn't fund the film. So little quirks like that that kind of reminds you, you know, as a, as a female filmmaker, she had to jump through a lot of hoops to get the movie she want made, she wanted to make, you know, and she still got it done and she had a pretty good career. So, yeah, definitely Suburbia and the Decline of Western Civilization trilogy, I would highly recommend. You know, just listening to you, you bring up, a, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, good points or, um, in regards to, like, the suburbs being kind of for a lot of people um, a sign of you making it, you know, and it's really interesting too, because we know now, like, you know, just because, you know, you live in the suburbs doesn't mean that you're excluded from having issues and, and definitely now more so than ever before, like, you know, with different, you know, like the, the different, like, like opioids, um, pandemic and stuff going on like that. We know that it's not specifically, you know, um, troubles and problems are not specifically located in certain places, you know what I mean? And so um, by all means, you know, privilege uh, is definitely a real thing, but consequences, you know, are universals. And so, you know, I, I could definitely relate to you in regards to that. Did you have like a favorite scene in the movie that really spoke out, spoke to you? I mean, selfishly, I'd say the musical performances, just because it's some footage of bands that I never got to. I mean, um, not bands I didn't get to see live, but bands I didn't get to see live in their quote-unquote prime. Because like I said, when I was a punk in the 90s, like the LA, East LA punk scene in the 90s, it was a lot of the skate punk, you know, like NoFX and Blink-22 was just coming in. I mean, that was what was current. But the punk that we revered, like me and my friends, it was all that old, crusty, like, you know, crazy, super political punk, you know, Dead mm-hmm. Kennedys and like, you know, TSO. The bands in the movie are TSOL, DI, and the Vandals. And the Vandals uh, had to switch lead singers because their lead singer passed away, Steve-O. So this is a Steve-O era Vandals performance. It's TSOL, who actually did get to see, you know, 2013. And it's DI, who I actually saw in Santa Barbara at Soho not too long, like maybe five years ago. So it's, it's a... Uh, probably the music performances but also yeah just a little commentary here and there like the you know like the kids there's scenes where the kids will be squatting out from the liquor store and people try to shoo them away because they look like vagrants and i mean that was the point it was i mean in the internet with the in a post-internet world today it's kind of funny that like no one bats an eye at trolls and things like that but that's what kids are doing when you dressed up like with studs and like spiked hair and stuff and you're sitting from the store trying to and if you were hassling you you were kind of just trolling you know you're just waiting for someone to take the bait and then you just like unload on them you know so I mean, I feel like that's one of the things, you know, we, in terms of the suburbs and community with the internet is it's proven, like you're saying, you, the suburbs are not any less popping than the inner city. And, and even folks in other cities, like, you know, if you, if you grew up in Santa Barbara and you're like, oh man, I wish I grew up in LA or New York, it's like, 
no, you know, like the, the internet, your, your community, your scene is, is like, that's what's sacred, you know, wherever you are. You yeah. Know, that sort of kindred kind of like belonging. And then you find your, find your tribe as it were anywhere. Cause I know that when I was growing up, people, Oh, you're, you, you, you came up in LA. You're so lucky. I was in, you know, podunk, whatever. It's like, but with internet now, there's no limitations. You can find your, you can find your hub. So. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I wasn't, I have no knowledge of like the punk scene, the punk, scene in the 90s or anything like that so i'm glad that you're sharing this with me because it's, it's all it's all new to me and uh were you like um how many people are like in your crew i mean crew size when i was growing up was was important was your was the crew pretty big yeah i mean you had like tiers you know like you had your, your day ones the tier one yeah. you know tier two tier three and the funny thing is like you know as the music as music adjusted like like by the end of high school i was really into hip-hop and like a lot of those a lot of the punk kids i was with were able to kind of transition into hip-hop pretty seamlessly because i mean it was kind of interesting how like it was it was really being in a gang was the only filter like as long as you weren't in a gang you kind of hang in any culture like when i went to hip-hop shows and my punk gear people weren't really bad and i you know like and and like if i was on the street and someone hit me up i could just be like oh i'm a rocker dude you know i don't don't i'm not trying to hassle nobody oh they're like okay 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 you know like so it was but yeah so it was five or six in terms of regular crew and then when you go to a show or something and you're meeting up with like the community, then yeah, it'd be like 10, 15 deep. Cause you'd be okay. like, Oh yeah, this person's bringing their crew. This person's bringing that crew. Yeah. And then of course like band practices and stuff like that, or, or hanging out with, with people in, in a band or hanging out at friends' houses. And then they like three or four people would show up. But yeah. In terms of like the, the regular crew is like five or six strong. So did you, you play? No, I, that's the thing that I regret the most is like, I'm, I love music, but like from the deepest, deepest core of my heart, but I'm a terrible musician. Just absolutely just horrendous. <laughs> like I can, I can DJ like barely worth a lick, but yeah, in terms of actual playing, nothing. Yeah. But I can, I can dance. All right. Like I, if I, if, if we're at a show, I can, I can get the party hopping for sure. <laughs> All I right. mean, I, 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 with, the cav- with the caveat, I'm not a b-boy, so I, if I we go to hip hop show, it's all up rock. I can't, I can't do anything on the ground. That's my second biggest regret is I never learned how to break dance, and because I have no balance and no upper body strength. Well, hopefully, when COVID passes at the next holiday party, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll see, I want to see your moves. I want to see your moves. Oh, I mean, trust me, give, give me, give me some music, I'll, I'll light it up. <laughs> I, that's right. That's the one thing I love to do. I love to have a good time. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, not only suburbia. If you, if if you if anyone's ever interested, the decline of Western civilization trilogy in terms of getting an idea of what LA was like, and also how music you know kind of progressed and things. They're they're great documentaries, and Penelope Spheres is a, a good filmmaker worth worth investing time into. Is there a soundtrack for that as well? Oh yeah, the decline soundtracks are all excellent, and the, I believe there's there's got to be a suburbia soundtrack because all the, the music in there is pretty good too. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the things that. You know, I was kind of uh, looking into. I was I when I watched um, Boys in the Hood. I went. It made me think about the soundtrack. And uh, the beautiful thing about music, we all can attest to, is that it instantly takes you to a place, a memory. Uh, and then, so I was going through the soundtrack of Boys in the Hood, and I was like, "Yep, I was there when I. Yep, I remember cruising up and down State Street, playing, listening to that." Yep, I remember, you know, I was on the east side of Santa Barbara for that one. I was on the west side for that. Yeah, so. The natural segue into your discussion of Boys in the Hood. And I will say to that point, 
that the thing about the boys in the hood soundtrack that i really like is that it's a mixture of the contemporary and the classic you have you have what furious is playing in the car when he's driving yeah and you have what what Doughboy and the guys are playing in the car when they're driving and it's yeah. like the, 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 you could there is a connection there but if you're not that hip to it you, you might not you know feel that connection but the music is all soulful you know it's all soulful and it's all talking you know tell, telling truth everyone wants to listen so yeah so yeah, I mean, I, I I looked at my movie that I chose this week um, um, was Boys in the Hood, and it was just one of those things where it was just on TV and one night, and um, I tuned in, and you know, this movie um, was directed um, and written by John Singleton, the late John Singleton. Rest in peace. Yeah, true legend. He was a legend and um, a pioneer in, in many ways uh, in regards to um, filmmaking and just discussing or, or making people look or address social ills. Um, and that's one of the things that really stood out to me was how so much of it is still relevant. And, uh, and there's, there's some heavyweights in this movie, um, maybe not at the time, but that's where their careers basically uh, has evolved into being some giants. I mean, we know we have Lawrence, uh, Larry Fishburne, um, and then we have Morris Chestnut, QB Gooding Jr. Well, one uh, thing that I was reminded was there's a, a scene early in the movie where Lawrence Fishburne mentions that, you know, as Furious, mentioned that he went to Vietnam. And then you think about in Apocalypse Now, he had that cameo as the super young, you know, troop in Army guy in Vietnam. And I was like, whoa, that, I wonder if that was a little nod there, but, but yeah. Yeah, and, and that's so funny how, he, you know, he talks in that scene about, you know, as a black man and fighting for this country and where, um, and just from the, the some of the social um, ills um, that, um, you know, he faced, you know, and it's kind of interesting because my father served in the military and um, once he got out, he, um, you know, there's some parallels I felt with uh, Furious uh, in the movie where how my father, um, raised me and, and kind of helped shape my outlook uh, on, on some things. And there were certain conversations I found myself leaning towards my, uh, a few of my favorite scenes were just some of the dialogue between him uh, and a younger uh, Cuban Gooding Jr. Um, well, his name was Trey, um, yeah. young Trey in the, in the film. So um, there was also Angela Davis was in the film too. We got to give her a shout out as well. Um, she was Trey's mother and oh, uh, Angela Bassett. Sorry, Angela Bassett. I said Angela because Davis. the thing about that is that Lawrence Fisher and Angela Bassett. Did you watch the Tina Turner movie? What love? Got yeah, to do yeah. With it? I watched so it. Seeing, seeing that dynamic, how different it was in that movie to this movie. I mean, that tells you about acting right there. Yeah, the range. I mean, because this this relationship in this movie is not like you know hunky dory either. It's not all sunshine and lollipops. But the shift in that movie was like, I mean, it was straight up an action movie at times. Where I'm like, oh no, yeah. please, stop, yeah, please yeah. stop. Yeah. And the so, thing too also was like, it, you know, it also speaks to their chemistry that, that they've had as, as actors and actresses that, that um, there was a, a real connection between them. And obviously that's why they went on years later to, to star in uh, what's love have to do with that movie was intense as well, man. Very like, intense. Man. Very intense. Cause I, I mean, you, that was the kind of movie where you had an idea, but then just seeing it play out, you're like, Holy cow. It's like when I read that story about uh, the boxer, Christy Martin, the other day on ESPN, where there was like, you hear the news of the domestic violence and then you read the ESPN story, like, oh my goodness, it was way, way well, crazier than that. And that's, yeah, just, I mean, that's just kind of how life goes. That's how life goes. Yeah. You know, but. So, I mean, the movie was, um, it was released in 91 
Uh, and I remember um, where I was at, you know, when that when it was released. I actually saw it at the Granada. Here we oh, are. Oh, nice. In the theater? In the theater. The, nice. The Granada, um, you know, we all know that they don't, you know, there's they don't play movies there anymore. But it was... <laughs> I don't, it was a weeknight. I think it was Friday night, maybe Saturday. It was something like that. And it was just like, everybody was, that was the, you know, going to the movie tickets were sold out. Um, you know, there was all this talk that the police were going to be in the movie theaters because you know, <laughs> early nineties at the height of, you know, the crowd. Oh yeah. Crowd oh yeah. Epidemic in this country, uh, in this country. I thought it was really interesting in the opening scene where, um, Trey was walking to school. He was a younger boy. Uh, yes elementary school and he was walking with some of his classmates to school and you know the one of the very first scenes where one of the boys shows them you know a, a crime scene and in the crime scene it was really seen it was really interesting because they had you know posters of Ronald Reagan you know for four more years and it's kind of it you automatically placed what time period uh, and what was going on in the in, in the country at that time so you know John Singleton just had you know has a really amazing way of s s like sneaking in certain subtleties all throughout yes. the movie. And it's, it's, it's one of those things that invites further exploration. Like, yeah. <laughs> in the moment you're like, Oh, that's, that's interesting. But now with the internet, you can be like, look up Ronald Reagan drug policy. And then you look up the increased sentences for people with crack cocaine versus regular cocaine, which was like basically a hundred to one sensing disparity, you know, yep. and, and, and then in, in, in those those kind of bigger thoughts in your head for him, where it's like, it's not just this objective, like, drug's bad. It was this objective, like, this drug's 100 times better than this drug, and, and you're ripping people out of homes for, you know, minuscule amounts of, of this quote-unquote batter drug. I mean, it, it's, it's in terms of just like Suburbia, it's the snapshot of the of the time when it was released. And, and for me personally, I didn't watch it in the theater, but... We had pirate cable at the time, so when the movie came on pay-per-view, <laughs> it, it would replay over and over again. You know, you could watch it over and over again. So I remember very distinctly that era of, of um, the early 90s filmmaking coming out when you had, you had Colors in, like, 88. Yeah. And Menace of Society and Boys in the Hood. Those two movies, when I got to see them, you know, and, and the thing about – the reason I mentioned pay-per-view and being able to watch a movie multiple times is because I couldn't watch the whole movie because my mom walked by or someone walked by. Like, you have to the channel with the quickness because, like, it's like – you know, bad words, every other word and this and that. So I had to like kind of sneak it because I'm like 10 or 11 years old. But yeah, being able to kind of watch those movies in the moment and see what was happening in my own, you know, when I'd go to school and people, they'd ban Raiders jackets and Kings jackets at school, you know, starter jackets were this and that. And yeah, and it was like just, just the way that whole area was and seeing what crack did to, to the city, you know, not just the inner city. This is the, this stuff made it to the suburbs very easily. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and look, like, look, right. So when we are talking about, you know, when people bring up certain conversations around systemic racism, um, I mean, that's a classic example of crack, co uh, crack cocaine versus just regular cocaine and how people are sentenced and how that affects certain communities uh, around that. So, you know, that's, that's, it's a real thing, you know, and if we look at, uh, I know we're kind of going off topic here but i think it's all related when you look at incarceration rates of, uh, on black men uh, versus um, or men of color versus non-men of color um, there's it's a high crazy despair and, and yes. so then you got to start looking at laws and how laws are written and and, and so on and so forth so
and it's totally on topic because this is what this is what great art really does. It makes you think. It makes you explore beyond the boundaries of what the what the artistic projection was to to what the, the global message is behind it. Because, you know, the point of all art is to make you feel and to make you think about things. And yeah. so you think about those those heightened drug senses. You think about, but you know, like maybe you had a thought of, oh, oh, you know, more black folks are in prison because they're they're bad. No, the, the the system was rigged against them. You know, like where you yeah. have increased patrols, increased policing in areas, and increased sentences where anything bad happens. So yeah. maybe you're in the suburbs drinking versus you're in the inner city smoking crack. Are yeah. those things equal? Maybe not. But are they equal to how they were sentenced? Absolutely not. You know. Yeah. So these are those are questions that that great art makes you feel. And you know, and you know, those movies like Menace Society, Boys in Hood. I mean. They, there's a lot of violence in it because that's what people knew but it was i don't feel like it was a glorification of violence like like boys in the hood the the, the pivotal scene it's not glorifying anything whatsoever and even the yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the repercussions afterward what happens to doughboy and everything else you know like yeah. it, there there is no you know well no i think ending. i think singleton does a beautiful job at building it up right so it just wasn't like oh oh just a free-for-all where everyone's just shooting and mass people are being uh, getting killed I think he builds the movie to a place where when it you know the violence really takes place it, the effect that you have on watching that is is it's it's a real effect you know how you, you feel when you know I don't know if I'm giving the movie away but you know I, when Ricky gets shot I'm just gonna go ahead and say it oh, I feel like I feel like within 20 years you can give spoilers out That's yeah like, okay I can, okay good so when Ricky gets shot um, where's Chestnut at the end it was like you actually really could relate to his character and what he was up against. And, 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 you know, again, like Singleton does an amazing job at building that up, like with his struggles and what he was going through. And, you know, uh, towards the end of the movie, he's contemplating, like thinking about going into the military. There was a conversation between him and Cuban Gunn Jr. about going to the military, which was based upon a lot of what Cuban was, um, trying to relate to him was what Furious Larry Fishburne was telling him. So it came full circle in, in, in that regard. So uh, there's also a lot of um, another good uh, common theme between um, what you have brought up with the movie uh, that you were reviewing and Boys in the Hood was uh, there was a scene that they talk about basically gentrification in, in the black community. And it's really interesting. I used to live up in Oakland and I, um, in the late 90s or actually early 2000s maybe but it was around that period of time and and i went back maybe last year um or two oh years way different for Oakland yeah. for a work conference and i was i couldn't even believe it i was like i was i texted one of my 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 boys who actually lived in lives in oakland and i'm like yo man i've been to oakland and i've been here for like half an hour 45 minutes i haven't seen anyone black yet this is con con wow. completely different from anything else that I had experienced. So, um, you know, and, and it's still going on. I mean, it's going on actually down in the Los Angeles too, around the areas where they're looking, you know, where they built the Ram Stadium and, and they're looking for different venues for other sporting teams. It's just all that area has been completely uh, gentrified and people have been pushed out and, and, you know, it's, you know, it's unfortunate in a lot of ways, you know, yeah, that conversation with uh, Furious and, and Trey, and I think Ricky's there too. They like they go to the yeah. office, he drives them out. Yeah, that is one of the pivotal moments in the in the movie because they, and then a little crowd builds up and he tells them all about it. And, it, and it's true. I mean, 
I have family in Oakland. They're still in Oakland. And uh, I have family in Oakland and San Francisco. I used to visit them in the summer. So I remember what Oakland was like in the late 90s, you know, like Oak High, that area, and, and Jack London Square. And, yeah, I went back a few years ago. And it's nice, but it is different. And it's and it has it did push, push, push folks out farther into the margins. Like even in L.A., South Central, a lot of folks, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was starting to get expensive even then. Yeah. And a lot of them up and moved to Palmdale, Lancaster, and the Valley out there. And so the community changed then, and it's shifting again. So it's it's one of those things that yeah you have to you have to keep on top of these things to kind of know well, where your community's going. So, and and, and the, here's the funny thing too in regards to that. Yeah, a lot of I you know that's a known thing where a lot of uh, people of color end up moving out towards the desert like Palmdale, um, and then you know like in light of what's you know going on in this in our in our nation uh, with you know the protest and you know, um, things surrounding race. Well, and then, so you have people that are from that area, Palmdale, uh, Lancaster. Mm -hmm. um, I remember uh, when I was in high school, I was talking to um, one of my friends. They were a year older than me. They were actually at UCSB. They were from Lancaster and they were telling me, uh, I remember her telling me, you know, really distinctly that there was having, they were having issues around race and, you know, uh, people that are from, you know, like the Ku Klux Klan and all these issues up in Lancaster. This is in like 94. I was in high school, a senior in 94. Um, and she was telling me that. And then so now we bring it full circle. Here we are in 2020. And then, you know, we're still dealing with that same, those same issues up in there. And then just recently there was that um, issue around the, the black man who was found um, yep. from, a, from a tree. And, you know, I'm just thinking like, man, it's just, here we are 2020 that was in 94 and that's and who knows is you know when that actually started was probably pre-94 but you know it just shows that how things are systemic in this country where they just don't change or they change at a slow pace yeah. robert robert fuller name of the man in palmdale my wife is from lancaster so i um i have a little bit of just going there to visit her parents and just know the area from that but even within the past like 10 years or so, I mean, I, I, I definitely see like the biker route, the biker gang roots that were there and then seeing like the influx of black folks coming in from South Central and, and the native folks. There were a lot of just black folks always in Lancaster and Palmdale. So yeah. just to see how it's always been a little bit of friction there. And now with these conversations, I mean, you know, the, the hope is that things change and things change for the better. And the thing also too, the piece that is so significant is that we don't, See, we don't do a good job at building community and building bridges, um, but when things go awry, we're, we're, we do a great job at pointing fingers, you know what I mean? And so the real work comes in, in prior to things going bad, you know what I mean? If you have built community and, you know, uh, reached out and, and try to uh, communicate with people, then when things go awry, then you guys can lean on each other, right? But we don't do a, a good enough job at, at building community. Uh, community and spaces where people can, you know, come together and, and just get to know each other for the sake of getting to know each other um, and build trust amongst each other. Because at the end of the day, I think there's a majority of people would agree upon that they are all seeking the same thing, you know, but when things go bad, that's when we're, we do a great job at, you know, look at these people, they're out here doing this, or these people aren't doing this. And so, you know, that's, I think that's an important piece um, that that needs to be addressed in terms of how we can move forward. 
And that is the key is, is community and in terms of community here. I mean, even this podcast, if we get some good guests on, we, we form a little rapport, you know, talk to someone you haven't talked to them before, that's community. And you look at the communities in the movies that we mentioned today, um, you know, suburbia, the community of kids that come together, Boys in the Hood, the way that community is, that that the, the depiction of that block. I mean, I, what I've loved about Boys in the Hood is, is how honest it is because, you know, there are a lot of films glamorizing that, that whole gangster thing and just making like gangsters in every house. No, these neighborhoods were were people that want to go to college, people that might want to go to the military. I mean, yeah. there were some, there were some kids deep in the streets too, but that's part of it too. You know, I mean, I mean, that's the thing in that area of 90 cinema, you had, you know, for South Central, it was Menisati, Boys in the Hood, Colors, East LA, we had Blood In, Blood Out, American Me, and, um, you know, there was Mi Vita Loca, that was the other one I was going to mention. Mm-hmm. And, and just in, just in, in terms of Asian exposure, even, I mean, Joy Luck Club was a big movie, you know, in terms yeah, of putting Joy Asians Luck. on the screen. Uh, no. You know, like I never, I mean, I, I grew up watching Kung Fu movies, Hong Kong cinema, 100%. You know, there's a lot of great movies in the 90s, that, you know, that, that were being put out in Asian markets. But to see that movie come out of the Hollywood system and see Asians on the screen on a VHS tape I could rent at Blockbuster was yeah. pretty, you know, pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, like, even now with Crazy Rich Asians, yes. I feel like they, they kind of took little nuances from from that and... So I'm like, okay, I mean, it's, they gave it a modern twist, but I definitely see the similarities um, as in Joy Luck Club, you know? And that's, and that's really the thing. Like people talk about greatest movie decades and this and that. I feel like the seventies are a great film decade. The eighties are great, but the nineties for me in terms of the final, the finally expanding the audience and getting more voices in there, you know, like getting, getting a, like a Joy Luck Club to have your Asian voice, getting, getting the inner city stories told with Boys in the Hood, things of that sort. You know, yeah. you have a movie like Pulp Fiction that comes out of nowhere, Clerks, all these independent movies that came out in the 90s. I, I, the yeah, 90s yeah. to me is pound for pound, definitely my favorite film decade, even though the movies in the 70s, I, I, you know, in terms of objectively speaking, I would say, you know, if you have Taxi Driver, Godfather, Apocalypse Now, all these films, you can't really go against it. But in terms of voices that speak to me, yeah, there aren't very many. I mean, you, all the all the all the black films were black exploitation films, and then like it was Bruce Lee for Enter, Enter the Dragon. You know, like in terms of the, the the multitude of voices that we got later on. I mean, yeah, it, right, right. So so yeah, in terms of AFI top one hundred, you know, like seventies and before great films. I love them all. I'm 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 a student of film, so I, I do love you know the films. But in terms of actually having a multitude of voices and 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 doing more, you know, movies that speak on on um you know. LGBTQ issues and things of that sort. It wasn't really until the 90s and later that a lot of the stuff started, to, you know, some of the walls started to get broken down. I mean, there's that movie, um, Crying Game. Remember Crying Game? How, how big a deal that was? That the, the the flip was that it was it was a, a you know, yeah, it was a gender well, swap. <laughs> so, well, like, like, look, I, I mean, the same thing for music too. I feel like for me, the 90s were like, at least from a hip hop standpoint, was, and that's the golden era, you know, and I. I think a lot of that too is just the consciousness of the nineties uh, that like from the seventies, I don't know, maybe like the seventies and the well, sixties too. I, I would go back to as far as stretch back as far as back as the sixties, the sixties and the seventies. I think uh, for some reason, I think it all just culminated and reached a peak in the nineties for some reason. I, you know what I mean? I felt like uh, just, you know, hip hop was so conscious um, and, and films were a lot more conscious in what you're saying and just about being raw and hopefully Hollywood can continue to like people can continue to push Hollywood in, in those uh, in that direction more because um, it, yeah, it really, it's got it's gone backwards in some some yeah movies because the big movies have gotten so big like I feel yeah. like the 80s was the best balance in terms of blockbusters and independent movies because the 90s was a very independent heavy decade 
yeah and in terms of music too like how many how many independent labels do you know of in the night like raucous records loud mm -hmm. hip-hop there's a million punk labels out there and, and even that is consolidated lately where it's like the big five and then like all the all the independent labels are subsidiaries of those big labels just like in the studio system all yeah. the independent studios yeah. are now subsidiaries of the big companies yeah so exactly. like it, things have gotten a little too efficient i mean i love the internet and algorithms are great but things have gotten a little too efficient we're squeezing people for every last penny we can yeah you know, like the efficiencies of our, we're squeezing a little too tight we're not letting people be human anymore yeah he's being focus grouped and just like you know just beat up before it gets released and, and and we have to go back a little bit to that let people let people do some things some independent vanguard things you know i mean i was also too i was thinking about certain scenes that are still relevant you know it and like the whole police brutality that was ad addressed we saw shades of that in a couple of different scenes uh throughout the movies um you know uh even um you know there's two there's two scenes with um uh, where furious uh, is speaking to uh little trey and they're, they're talking about issues surrounding you know sexual protection and how to educate on sex ed and that type of stuff and i was like man that was pretty forward thinking you know what i mean uh because they do address it because in the 90s you know you had aids right and so they yep. again another brilliant way that singleton um chose to to put that in the film too as well you know just weaving in the issues of the time and allowing yeah. you to do the amount of research you wanted to do and in the, like i said in the 90s research was much tougher to do you really had to want it and so if you really wanted it you really could you know get some true kind of wisdom out of things so it was yeah because i feel like when you have to search for it like legitimate search not search like google wikipedia like when you really had to make a commitment to something it really became life-altering because you put the work in to actually, you know, look for it, man. I remember going, looking in the, the Dewey Decimal, I'm dating myself, but remember the Dewey Decimal system? Oh, yeah. And so oh, then yeah. you had to go through all that, and then you had to go search for the book. Like, by the time you got the book, you were like, damn, I'm going to read it. Like, you had the option, you weren't going to not read it. But now it's like the information is so vast and so easily accessible. Like, it doesn't really penetrate the same. It doesn't hit the same. It absolutely does not hit the same. Like I said, there were a lot of gatekeepers. There were bad things about that system, but there were some good things too, because if I wanted to be a punk, I really had to know it and I had to like live it. I had to love it. Same yeah. when I went over to hip hop. Someone asked me what nope. the four elements of hip hop was. And I was like, huh? Why? Like these were not Googleable terms back then. And yeah. so I had I had to get hit from someone else. Someone had to yeah. tell me four elements of hip hop. MCing, B boying, DJing, and graph, you know? Yeah. And I would say fashion, you get the fifth element. Yeah. So yeah. But, but yeah, so like those are things that were not common, not, 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 they weren't not, it's not that they weren't common knowledge, but it wasn't you just ask anybody on the street and they would let you know, you know, like, and it was the same thing as like, oh, you've heard, you've heard of Husker Du or Killing Joke, these bands and like, yeah. no, oh, okay, fine. And then you're like, oh, what about Mission of Burma? What about this and that? So you had to like start dropping these things and really knowing these things and knowing the message behind them. Because for, I mean, the, the, the crust punks as, you know, like as crazy as they look and things, they are, they are, they do have like, there are moral base. There's a moral base there that you have to kind of answer to. So like yeah. asking about bands and asking about message is really testing about, are you down with the culture, with the cause, you know, and that's same with asking about the four elements of hip hop. Do you yeah. just want to party? Do you yeah. just want to party? Or do you understand that this is a culture that is growing and evolving and that is constantly being scrutinized and you don't want to be the one, you know, acting a fool and bringing, you know, knocking on the culture and making it and making us look bad, you know? So it was, it was a universal thing there that, that that's kind of, it's not like it's lacking it's still there 
but it's just a lot easier to just Google. Like I used to have to trade VHS tapes of live bootlegs of Clash shows, you know, like bands. yeah, yeah, so yeah. If you go Clash live now, YouTube has like, all the shows that I paid probably five, six hundred dollars over the life of my high school career to buy VHS bootlegs of, which looks like someone's been recording off of someone's dream. They're all blurry and wavy, yeah, and, like yeah, yeah, anything, yeah. So. Or how do you remember this? Like even like when like um, radios shows with like play certain songs and you would just wait the oh, whole oh yeah wait the whole time just to hit the record button on, on your, your tape. tape on the tape on so, the top of the but, tape but see that's what i'm saying like and i know for me growing up i mean i I'm, i grew up in santa barbara i say i'm from santa barbara my father was in the military I, I graduated from santa barbara high school so i tell people i'm from santa barbara but i remember like be, if you were if you were being called a sellout, that was like one of the worst things ever. It's like a death sentence. Sellout or a poser, I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, that's why real. when you said that, when you said uh, poser or sellout, that really struck a chord because I'm like, yeah, man, I remember like nobody nobody wanted to be a sellout. That was like a death sentence. Yep. You know and there I mean? was another term. If you you were a ranker, if you if you backed off of a fight, you never wanted to be uh, a ranker, ranker either or whatever. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, I mean, those are the 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 you know, the things that I really, truly admire about the 90s. And, and, and one other point that I'll, I'll speak on in Boys in the Hood, and, I, and this is kind of picking back off of what you were saying, is that it was really, really, I love how Singleton, um, like you, what you were saying, how they showed normal people in the hood. Not everyone was like litter with like gangsters. And remember the scene where he's like, he comes in like, so the movie starts off when they're kids and then, you know, they, it fast forwards like 10 years later, like when you know, they're in high school, right? Mm -hmm. And so he comes in and Cubic and Junior, uh, Trey is all dressed up with the yellow shirt with the black dye and he, and everyone else is all, you know, looking like in their dickies and white shirts. And, and he's like, yeah, I'm working at Fox Hill Mall. <laughs> I remember going to Fox Hill Malls back in the day that was the spot to be. And actually, even now, it's still there. There's like it's still a, there, and uh, it's still it still has that that kind of culture aspect of just being around other people of color. And so, what I was like, yeah, that's a brilliantly done. Like, look, here's a person raised uh, went from was raised by his mother, got in trouble at school. She sent him shipped him to his dad. He grew up. He's working at the Fox Hill Mall, and he finds himself in the middle of this gang thing, you know, and. And and how many stories is has that played out uh, across this country? You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's just it's just the nature of the circumstances. You know, you just happen yep. to be to live in this neighborhood. You probably set just because you live in the neighborhood. Yeah. You know, and that's and that even as someone in East LA, like um, I mean, uh, you know, the Asian gangs worked a little differently because it was a lot more under the radar stuff. You know, mm -hmm. but it wasn't as much neighborhood sense as it was like you knew someone who knew someone whose family was linked and this and that, but it was still a real thing where just being in the neighborhood you were in, you, you were embroiled in some stuff and you had to know rules. You had to know how to act. You had to know the, the way to be around certain places and not put yourself in any further danger than the danger you already were in just for living somewhere, you know? Yeah, so right. was, and, and that's, you know, the, these are the things that we talk about nostalgic, like it's the nineties. They still exist today. They're just different. The rules have changed. There are very, well, I feel like there are fewer rules, but I don't know. Cause I'm, I'm old, I'm out the game. So but it just yeah. feels a lot. It feels more lawless now in some ways, you know. Like in other ways, no. But in some ways, yes. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, right. So in the '90s, I know, especially in those communities, which was kind of really interesting that Singleton took this approach. But usually, if you were like a star athlete, like you were like you weren't, you were like you're off the table. 
In other words, so bangers only mess with bangers. You know what I mean? Like, and if you were a star athlete, people are like, oh, he rep represents our, our community. Don't, don't, they're off, right? And so even like, even I remember, because my daughter plays tennis, uh, just, you know, the sto hearing stories about Serena and Venus growing up in Compton and everyone knew them. And they're like, okay, don't mess with them. These, these are our athletes. And, and so there was like, kind of like a code uh, of conduct, so to speak, amongst uh, people who were uh, in gangs. And, 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 and so I don't know if that still is applicable today, but I just thought it was interesting that he sh chose Ricky, uh, who was, you know, in the movie, was looked like he was going places, you know, athletically and yeah. stuff. So. Where, his, where his mom has the SAT score in her hands. He had to get a 700. He got 710. 710. Oh. Man, he, he was messing around uh, trying to get those scratch-offs at the end of that. <laughs> eating, uh, drinking milk and eating, uh, what was it, a chocolate dial? Or... <laughs> Man. Yeah. Yeah, even even when Kendrick had that song about, he mentioned Aaron Aflalo in one of his tracks. Because mm -hmm. Aaron Aflalo was the chosen one. He was good at basketball. He was going to make it. And he was going to come out of the, you know, so... So yeah, that, I feel like that's still a thing for sure, and, and I feel like you know it's, it's, these a lot of unwritten rules, like in baseball, unwritten rules of baseball, unwritten rules of the streets, unwritten rules of this, you know. Yeah, right. Absolutely, no crying. I mean, with no baseball crying coming back, baseball. we do need to we do need to talk about the Yankees cheating allegations with you at some point, but you know. Man, that is not for this uh, podcast right now. <laughs> you know, I, and you, man, we need to see when if your angels are going to actually ever live up to the hype man this year next year this year next year but yeah so yeah good Six conversation weeks. good movies we can we can revisit the sports and yeah, we can we'll make it a regular section we can make it a regular section if, if yes know. absolutely absolutely and uh i actually think it would be kind of pretty cool to do like you know what's going on on campus like the certain updates uh, so if people have any kind of events or anything going on, you know, they oh, can yeah. reach out to uh, either of us. Um, and then, you know, we can just do a quick plug, um, like what's going on, on around campus. Our first first part of our show should always be committed to promoting uh, the institution and the great things that they're doing in the community. Absolutely. Um, news and events, anything that's happening. And then, you know, we'll bring up the food we'll, and we'll, we'll discuss, you know, movies, film and stuff. And, and you can see what, what kind of grows from that, you know, like yeah. you want to talk about two movies and how far does our conversation go today? You know, we're you know, you know, talking about all kinds of stuff. So I feel like uh, we got a good format here and uh, we'll keep it moving. We'll see who our first guest is, right? Yeah, absolutely. We'll see. Yeah, we're ready. <laughs> all right. All, all right. right. So I, so that with that closes out for this week, our inaugural episode. Thank you all for joining us whenever this gets posted and um, we'll see you soon. Thank you. All right. Bye. All right. See you guys.